Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And my name is Kim Lakin, and my co-host this evening is Penelope. I'm so glad she's able to be on. It sounds like she's got some weather going on, so keep her in your prayers. Um, tonight we are on stand number 3258, and we have a very special co-host that I'm excited to introduce you to um, in just a minute, but first we've got to do the business. So, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, we are on scan number 3258. So if you would like to be a part of our panel this evening and call in and ask our, our special guest questions, we'd love to have you. That phone number is 646-595-2118. And my co-host, Ms. Penelope, I'll let you in on the other line and um, see if you have a question for our, our guest. So you can also access any of our past shows by going on to nasca.org. That's N-A-A-S-C-A. Org and searching for the scan number um, that I gave you at the show that you wish to access. So tonight's special guest is Sylvia Golden. She is from Lawrenceville, Georgia, and she is a survivor of child abuse who is also the recipient of the Darkness to Light Stewards of Children Voice of Change Award for her contribution to the fight against child sexual abuse. She's originally from Guatemala, and Sylvia is a member of a large Hispanic family. Her mom was one of 21 children. 
As an immigrant and survivor, she's written an article on the D2L website, a Hispanic Perspective on Abuse. I know there's a stigma that surrounds sexual abuse. Um, she says, perspective in Hispanic communities is that we do not share our pain or talk about uncomfortable topics. At times, she recalls the fun memories of being with so many cousins, but she also remembers the first time that she experienced her sexual abuse. Her cousins were going to a room where her grandmother had passed away. Well, as one of the younger cousins, she was taught to be submissive and to listen to her elders and to do as they're told. No one questioned that they were alone, especially her. Because of this experience, as she had become a parent, she became incredibly cautious about where her children were allowed to go and with whom. And kind of a helicopter parent, I can relate to that, Sylvia. <laughs> Sylvia learned in her recovery that sharing one's issues with someone who is a survivor makes it easier to disclose. You feel like you have a common issue as you are sharing your story. It's difficult, as difficult as it is to share one's story with somebody the first time. It's also or not being sure of how one feels without, you know, without feeling the blame. I'm sorry, I just kind of messed up that whole sentence right there, Sylvia. I don't know what that was <laughs> about. But um, she, she said, it's difficult as it is to share one story with someone for the first time, not being sure if one feels safe without feeling blame or shame. That's how that is. is so I am so excited to bring Sylvia on the air. And I'm just so honored, Sylvia, that you are with us this evening and here to share our story. Share your story with our listeners. And we also have a, my, my beautiful co-host on the other line, Penelope. So I am bringing you on, Sylvia, now, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kim, and look forward to connecting with Penelope as well. Um, thank you all for joining us and for taking the opportunity on your busy Wednesday evening to be with us tonight. Um, thank you again to the organization for hosting this and the continued support of giving us a platform for our voices to be heard. So I'm going yeah. to share, I'm going to do kind of like a chronological order. Um, like Kim mentioned, I am foreign born. I was born in Guatemala. So I want to talk a little bit about my background, what that means, and my journey in coming to the United States. It's all very interconnected with um, my past, my journey, and obviously my recovery, my continued recovery. Um, so I want to talk about my hometown of Guatemala. That's in uh, Central America. Um, I was uh, born in Guatemala. I'm one of seven brothers and sisters, six of us females, and then the youngest one, the only one born in America, is our little brother. So the majority of us were born and raised in Guatemala. Um, when you're an immigrant, things are just a little bit different. It is very custom, like Kim mentioned, for us to live in what we consider now multi-generational households. 
and even moving to America and transitioning into our American cultures, it is still very common in the Latin American community. And I'm assuming it's very similar to a lot of migrant communities for us to live in multi-generational households. Um, when I lived in Guatemala, I remember um, my family lived in one room. The house was completely made out of concrete and brick. My grandfather, my abuelito Juan, he, he built it with a lot of his brothers, his uncles. So that house has been in our family for generations. And I believe it's still standing today, but there is no, um, you know, family from my side that currently lives in Guatemala. Like Kim mentioned, uh, being part of a huge family is both is, is both a blessing and obviously uh, it's like a recipe for disaster when we talk about abuse and neglect and things that have happened in our household. Um, you know, when I was raised in Guatemala, it was probably in the early uh, early or late 70s, really. I'm a product of a late 70s child. Um, I'm going to age myself a little bit. I was born in 79. Um, you know, we lived in Guatemala, a lot of uncles, a lot of cousins. So... It was my mom, like Kim mentioned, is one of 21 brothers and sisters. And living in Guatemala, it was very common for the women to go out to the market together. That is their outing, right? That is the time, their independence time to go out. But with that said, you're leaving literally tons, dozens of children, some high school age, some middle school age, and some of us were as young as four, five, six years old, pretty much taking care of each other. Um, and even now, I start thinking about families that allow grandparents to watch the children. You know, grandparent is 80, 90 years old, but there's uncles, cousins also living in the household. Is grandma really watching the toddler, right? So I, I think about that now as an adult. Um, I've always considered me and my siblings, most of us sisters, pretty independent. But I think about situations that arose from that. Um, I'd like to say that I was, I was, I would hope and pray that I was the only child that was preyed upon in my household in Guatemala. But unfortunately, as we age and we get older, and even though my family thinks it's taboo, we do have conversations now as adults about things that happened when we lived in that household in Guatemala. The cousin that took advantage of me. Oh, go ahead, Kim. Did you have a question? I just said that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing now. Oh, yeah, to be an independent young about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that we're older talk now and talking. It. Yeah. Open, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, oh, that's I how agree. you kind of figure out. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. I didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. The, not, you know, and, and uh, you know, respectfully, my cousins that are about my age, we're very open to talking about it because all of us have young daughters now, young sons now. But my mother still, you know, at her age and her generation, you, you don't talk about those things at the table. You don't bring them up. It doesn't matter how many years ago it happened, right? And I think my mother, and, and bless her heart, I love her absolutely to death. I have struggled with my relationship with my mother, but I, I always wondered why she chose to. Maybe it's like out of sight, out of mind. If you don't talk about it, it didn't happen. Maybe it's a way for her to cope with not being there during the situation. That's that's the only I guess conclusion that I come that I can come with. But 
talking about, you know, the situation that happened. My father immigrated to America. My mom and my siblings and I still lived in Guatemala. So the cousin that unfortunately took advantage of me and come to find out now I wasn't the only child that he took advantage of, in those times, his mother and father didn't live in the household with us. It was very common for aunts to have children and then marry somewhere else and leave their children with grandma so neither mom nor dad were in the household. It was just a cousin that lived there that the grandparents were taking care of. Um, that also doesn't provide discipline for a child. There's no mother, there's no father, there's a grandparent that has way too many children and grandchildren around. Can they really discipline this child? Um, but, you know, he did take advantage of me by, you know, and I guess I was so young. Like, I didn't know things that were happening. I knew it didn't feel right. I knew it wasn't right. And the situation just kind of got worse as I got a little bit older and started understanding what was actually happening. And then I remember my father moving to America and my cousin telling me that if I ever said anything, that my father was never going to come and, you know, rescue us from, from Guatemala. So I think as a young child, you're at fear that your father has abandoned you in Guatemala. Now you're left there with your grandparents and the rest of your cousins. So I can definitely see as a young, vulnerable child not understanding. And the age difference between my cousin and I was drastic. He was probably high school, closer to college age. And when the abuse started, I had to have been about maybe five or six years old. And even as an adult now in my 40s, five or six years old, I, I remember when I was five or six years old, as much as people try not to think about, like, when you were, there's no way you can remember what, when you're being abused and certain things are happening to you that are not normal, you remember those tragic situations. Um, you know, when we talk, yeah, yeah it, yeah, it is, and it's, it's, it's very unfortunate. So um, I don't know how much detail people want to hear. Um, I'm, the more I talk about my abuse, the more, the easier it is for me to talk about it. It took me many years for me to be able to just talk about what happened to me without really, you know, crying or feeling sad for myself or feeling vulnerable. But those are just natural feelings as a human, I guess. Um, Kim talked about me being a, a, a helicopter parent, 100%, 1,000%. You know, my children are now, my oldest son is 29, my middle son is 26, and I still have a young daughter, age 14 now. And it is very unfortunate. I think I am way more strict with my daughter because she's a female than I was with the boys but I still have those conversations with my boys. I've got grandchildren being born now. Are they safe? Are they protected? What are the rules mm -hmm. at home? Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. Wanna you want everybody to be educated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I was going to say so, just kind of an answer maybe to your question um, a little bit earlier about what people want to know maybe on the show. I would, you know, do what you feel is comfortable, but also just be in mind that there may be people who could get triggered by certain things. So exactly. you don't want to, like, overshare yeah. too much, you know, so you probably know okay. as well. But, um, yeah. but, yeah, just share what yeah. you want. We could actually see, since you've kind of gone through those first little, those first few years, we could see if maybe even Penelope has a question or anything or 
would that be okay to bring Penelope on and introduce her to you? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Thank Hi. you, Kim. Yeah. And Hello, Penelope. Hi. Sylvia, thank you again for coming on. And um, my, I hope that you can hear me clearly. I'm in, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. And as you know, um, we have a hurricane going on here right now. Actually, we're post-hurricane. Um, but um, so if I, you know, if uh, there's still a lot of um, inclement weather here, so if I I drop, I'll come back on, and I, I apologize in advance. Um, you know, there were just a few things that you had said, and, and you know, while trigger warnings are, are very um, appropriate, you know, when we're talking about this content about, you know, some of our childhood um, experiences, I also think it's important sometimes to name what happened to us because, as you mentioned, Sylvia, what struck a chord with me was when you're young, you know something is not quite right, you know, but um, it's also is normal because you're so young and you think it, you know, this is what happens. And I remember, I mean, up until, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I was saying I was talking about my childhood experiences to my, my brother-in-law and I mentioned something and he looked at me and stunned because what I was describing to him was not what I thought was um, untoward um, behavior um, from my abuser it was just a precursor to discuss the untoward behavior, but what it really was was actually an act of maltreatment. I don't know if that makes sense because sometimes what we think is normal is not normal even into adulthood because it's what we grew up with. So I don't think that – I think sometimes when you name what happened to you, um, it helps other survivors realize um, what the different forms of maltreatment are, what grooming is, and maybe what we thought was normal is not so normal. So I just wanted to point out that I never think it's a bad idea to name, um, you know, with, within reason some of these things that have happened, um, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, we can have yeah. dialogue that yeah, is, you definitely. know, um, yeah, to, I think sometimes just defining these things is important. Um, uh, so um, I wanted to make that comment. And the second thing I just wanted to say is I appreciate you mentioning about your um, uh, relation, the, the truth about your relationship with your mother, because I think, you know, some of us have a hard time saying that, you know, relationships with, with those that we love are difficult. Um, you know, I, I can res that resonate with me when you had said that about the strain in a relationship with your mother. I have one as well. Um, um, a mother that doesn't protect her child that knows abuse is going on. So I, it, that was in my case. So I appreciate you saying that because um, I think there's a community of us out there, and I think a, a betrayal by a parent is a very deep wound, and sometimes I can, you know, you feel quite, very alone um, in that betrayal. And so I just appreciate you bringing that up because it, it really does resonate with me, and I think a lot of other people listening, um, unfortunately, can resonate that resonates with them as well. So I just want to thank you for your candor and your story, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it. Okay. Well, thank you, Penelope. Great Hello. speaking with you. Hope you yeah. and every, everybody in Florida are doing well. I know the hurricane is coming coming towards Georgia, coming for us as well. So I'm glad you guys yeah. are safe right oh, now. Gosh. Oh, yeah. gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. But, see, I don't it's watch a... the news a whole lot, so I should be <laughs> watching the news. I'm sorry, you guys. Oh, well, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> well, I don't either, but but they're very good about giving you warnings on your phone if you're you know registered in the county, and so um, yeah. that's how we got word is we were we were told to leave our home. So 
Um, oh, man. Kind of can't ignore it. But I hope you're okay in Georgia. I just I know it's it's pummeling three states through three states right now. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not bad here yet, but I know it's coming about midnight. It should be here. Um, but I'm glad Penelope oh, wow. said yeah. that. You know, I'm not. I, 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 yeah, I'm not going to go into too much details, but I do want to be candid about what grooming means and what grooming for me meant when I was a young child. Yeah. It is not normal for a four, five, six-year-old to be alone with a, a, an older teenager, 18 and 19. It is not normal for a young child to see an erection. That is not normal. A four or five-year-old child does not understand what that is. Um, giving a child candy, trying to lure the child to be alone as much as possible, um, intimately kissing a child when you are a young child and you're an adult is not normal. Um, telling the child that if you don't do X, Y, and Z, your mother is and father or sisters are going to, um, you know, pay due, due to X, Y, and Z factor. Telling me that my father was never going to come you know, bring us to America living in Guatemala at that time if I share what is happening to me. And as a child, again, you cannot distinguish. This is a, an older cousin you trust. They live in your household. And it is very, very um, interesting to me and very in tune with the way people groom their um, in the the person that they're they're grooming, it is definitely a control factor. Definitely, you search for vulnerabilities. Um, understanding that I'm like in a single parent household because my dad is now in America working to provide for my family is a, a you know is an easy target for when somebody is picking their 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 target. If you want to say say in that sense. Um, but that's as much as I'm going to share in that aspect. But um, as a young child and even as an adult, I think, um, you know, being in a relationship, being married, uh, being intimate with your partner, talking about your body parts. You know, I mentioned that I have a young daughter. Understanding that we use proper terms. We don't call things by a pet name. We use proper scientific terms in my household when we identify certain body parts. So that has been a big, big issue for me, especially in the Latin American culture, using certain terms to identify um, people's body parts. But I do want to talk a little bit more about um, the stigma in the Hispanic community. Um, <clears throat> when I originally started telling my story, I remember, like Kim had said, you know, I had already done the video with Darkness to Light. I have appeared in a couple of speaking engagements. But I remember during the COVID time when I started regularly sharing my story over and over and over, there was a situation where I had agreed to do something. It was the first time other than the video that we recorded with Darkness to Light. But please understand that a video that you become vulnerable in, they can stop recording you and start again. So it's easy to edit a video, but when you're doing live feed, when people are looking at you, um, even if it's a virtual conference, it's very uncomfortable to try to share your story, tell people, you know, people want to know factors, they want to know details. And I will talk a little bit about 
my abuse were towards the end of the 90 minutes. Y'all have to keep me, like, on track with my time. But I remember having a conversation with one of my colleagues. Um, the way that I've grown up, I guess, you know, I have always, and, and, and I am not a psychiatrist, I am not a therapist, but I do know that some of my behaviors and some of my habits, I guess I would call them, the way that I am now has a lot to do with my story and my history, the way we were raised, the, ra the way your parents are together in a marriage, a lot of that kind of comes along with you when you start your own family, you start your own marriage. So I remember having this conversation with my coworker with the first time that I was going to have to publicly speak in front of people. And I'm very, um, like as an adult, I've always been very task-oriented. I'm a big fan of spreadsheets. I'm a big fan of checklists. I'm very well educated. And I don't know if it's because I always never think it's enough, right? It's never enough. You've got to do better. You can stay up an hour later. And I get emotional not because of my story. Take a, if you want to take a drink of water or something, you are welcome do that. No, I think it's just me. It's my my constant need to, to be perfect. But I don't know oh, if that's oh from Yeah. But anyway, oh, yeah. back to the story. I was talking to my coworker and she you know, I wasn't my, my regular behaviors, my checklist my work and she, she knew something was wrong and I just briefly shared with her not emotional at all you know at work I'm very professional I mentioned to her that I was going to be doing um, a speaking engagement and the profession that I do I do now I do a lot of speaking engagement I've done Many um, TV appearances, I'm, I'm, I'm a director for a big Metro Atlanta transportation department. I'm always doing public speaking, so it, I'm very good at doing that. So my coworker thought it was strange that I was nervous about speaking, like people pay me to speak, right? How can Sylvia be nervous about speaking? But it wasn't the, the speaking engagement at the time. It was definitely the, the topic. And I just shared with her, like, well, I just have to talk about, like, a childhood trauma. I just kind of threw it under under the rug. And I'm just kind of uncomfortable talking about it. And I just don't even know how to, you know, how to start the conversation. So she's like, well, she likes, like, well, have you thought, thought about speaking to somebody, speaking to a professional? You know, maybe you need to talk it out. And I jokingly said, and, it, and it's it's funny, but it's not funny. I jokingly said to her, you know what, Hispanics don't do therapy. And then she jokingly said back, well, that's funny, Sylvia, neither do black people because she's an African-American woman, right? We kind of joked about it. But, again, as being an adult, regardless of the trauma that had happened to me, being a perfectionist, I don't think I've ever actually got the therapy or the, the support that I needed other than being able to speak to an audience like all of you guys. Sometimes I think whenever you speak about your story, and like I mentioned earlier when Kim was talking, talking about it to my cousins now that lived in the same household, 
maybe it's a way of me knowing that I'm not alone, that there's other people out there that are okay with talking about the stigma of things that have happened in our households. Um, some of the barriers that I think being a big Hispanic family is the elders always feel uncomfortable during certain situations. And when I talk to some of my mother's, my maternal aunts, you know, I feel like some of them are way younger than my mom and they kind of want to talk it out. But it's this wall, this constant wall that I get from my family. And I don't do it to be malicious, or at least I don't feel that I'm doing it to be malicious. I genuinely wonder if people are dealing with their trauma. Have you ever talked about it? Are you okay? I think being able to talk about things that have happened to me, um, appearing in darkness to light has kind of done wonder for, for my personal recovery. Um, I, don't, I don't think that I'm here to help anyone, but if I can touch just one life, I feel like I've educated one person, and that's the only way we're going to get overcome the stigma of, of being raped, being abused, being taken advantage of, right, especially when we know the difference between good, healthy relationships versus the way things should not be. Um, I don't want my story to be forgotten. And I do understand with the way social media is, you know, we've got a couple of videos that I've done with Darkness to Light, this podcast. Um, it doesn't, I don't always think about the things that have happened to me. I know some of us will have amazing days. Some of us have okay days. And it is okay to have a bad day every once in a while. But I do have to constantly remind myself, that no matter what is going on in my life, no matter what is happening, like, I can't stay there. You know, I can't, as hard as it is for some of us out there, we can't stay in bed all day. We need to figure out a way to do some self-care and be able to openly talk about what needs to be discussed. And I share that because even though I haven't even talked about my story in months, Tim, who is also a social media friend of mine, had posted about looking for some guest speakers, which is how I reached out to her and connected. You know, I think it's important for me personally as part of my recovery to talk about my story, talk about what's going on. Um, darkness to light, especially here in the state of Georgia, we're a very active community here. I am still engaged. I still am part of the sexual abuse task force in my Metro Atlanta organization, if there's um, Hispanic, Latin American, Spanish-speaking engagements that they want me to talk to, I have done that as well. Um, but I do that because I understand the barriers that comes along with being abused, being Hispanic, and being expected to be a certain way. Um, I guess certain things that I want people to understand about my community. I don't want to put a stigma on the Hispanic community. We are a huge family. We, we connect by eating. We connect by socializing. We connect by doing big, big, big events so we can be together. That is the way we celebrate. But in return, situations like what has happened to me, 
has happened to other people within my family, just a party when we have a stranger that we may not know that takes advantage of a child, right? So there's so many there's so many good times that we can have as being a large family, but understanding the vulnerabilities that we're putting the those at-risk members for us to not be able to watch or take care of. Um, when Penelope kind of mentioned a little bit about my relationship with my mother, I'm going to fast forward. You know, all of that happened to me when I was really young. The abuse continued when I lived in Guatemala until I was preteen. I'm going to guess I was about 11 or 12. Um, and the reason I remember that was because when I moved to America, I was in middle school. I started middle school here in America, and we lived in California at the time. And I think that's when the abuse stopped, and then I hid it at the back of my mind because it was no longer happening. I didn't have to worry about it. My father, regardless of what my male cousin said to me, did come back to Guatemala, did come and get the rest of his kids and his wife, and moved us all to America. So I don't know if I, like, I think at the time, being a young child, you know, you're moving to America. It's the American dream. The abuse had stopped. So in my mind, it was the happily ever after that I was looking for. Now, leaving a country that I'm expected to be a certain way, moving to America brought its own challenges on its own. Um, we were living at the time with um, an aunt and uncle, and the older I got, the more independent I got, um, you start learning about your own sexuality at a young teenage. Um, and I know, I, you know, I, like I mentioned, I'm not a, a specialist in anything other than what I do for work, but I know that the way I was as a young child, like even though I had lost my virginity as a, as a baby pretty much, I consider myself a baby, when I was old enough to make the decision about losing my virginity, I was very, very young. And I continued that pattern of being promiscuous is the word that I'm going to use, not knowing that I never properly, properly learned to love myself. And that is the only way that I that I can explain it. Sorry. Um, yeah. Fast and it forward. Is so common, I think. Yeah, Sylvia, I was just going to say it is so common, too, because that's our mind frame. This is what I am good for, right? That's uh, what I remember thinking yeah. at, at about that age. Like, this is, what I'm, this is what I do. This is what I'm good for. This is what guys like me for, I guess. Yeah. Of, yeah. And I don't know, Penelope, if you have daughters, and I don't know, you know, Kim has children, has kids. I don't know if you guys. I have a, I have three sons. I have three sons. Um, okay. But, but what I was going to actually, I, I wanted to see if I could actually have, say a comment because you had mentioned about, and I don't think, you know, I don't think it's cultural. I mean, I think it might be generational, maybe somewhat cultural regarding the secrecy within families about, you know, not, disclosing or even talking about the abuse. Um, you said some of your, you know, younger um, aunts and, and other, you know, other family members that are maybe of a little bit younger generation are a little bit more open or showing some more open signs to talk about it. But as I always say, 
I mean, the secrecy is the most prolific enabler of the cycle of abuse to continue within a family unit. And, um, and I'm, I'm Greek and Lebanese. And on both sides, you know, of, of my family, my parents' generation and then their parents' generation, I mean, you didn't talk about anything like that. And, you know, what I realized is as unnatural as it feels to go against the grain of the family wishes of, of discussing um, the events that transpired, it is the most important thing to do in order to, to address the cycle, to name the cycle, to bring it out. Um, and to stop it because, like yeah. I said, the, the cycle breeds on secrecy. And, you know, I commend you for, for being so strong and, and being so vocal within your family. But I think, you know, I know how uncomfortable and I know, you know, being in that society, I feel like I'm in a society with family where I am just the black sheep. Um, but then I think that, you know, it's good because that means I'm, yeah. I'm doing something different. But I, I that That's resonates right. with me. But yeah. I think underscores the importance yeah. of yeah. taking that step. And there's so many people listening to this podcast that are just right there, you know, right there wondering, can I, should I do this? Can I do this? You know, what will be the consequences if I do this? So thank you for, for sharing, you know, that part of your story. So and thank you for letting me interject. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. This is a conversation. I want to, I want to continue the conversation with yeah. you both. Um, you know, I fast forward. Yeah, well, let me, can I say something? Let me say something else. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I feel the same as Penelope and Penelope. Have, and I have these talks about kind of the family generational thing because I was in that same situation where we were told it was just in the family. And not only that, but in my family, we just protected the men. There was just something about it doesn't matter what they do. You protect the men. And I learned that at a very young age. And then um, my, really my second sexual experience was with a cousin. And I remember thinking, and we were playing hide and go seek, so that was something I never let my kids <laughs> I very, I very much was against hide and go seek. And, um, but I, I remember thinking, oh, I must be getting more mature because when I was five and it happened with a neighbor boy, because I didn't know what was going on or what was happening, I thought that um, I just must not be mature enough. So then a few years later when it was happening with my cousin, I thought, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'm just more mature now. Maybe I should just enjoy this. So there was kind of that thought of, oh, should I be doing this? It was kind of like you almost enjoy it a little bit because you're, getting to that age where you're a little bit more curious and, and wanting to know what's going on. But um, my family as well isn't, we're not Hispanic and we did not do therapy either. But it was definitely a generational abuse that was happening, not by the same person, of course, but just that um, carrying on that mindset of we just kind of, you know, sweep it under the rug, it'll go away. And then um, later on, it was my dad. And so, and then at that point as well, when my mom found out about it, she was, she said, oh, you know, it happens. So there was this mindset uh, in her that was pretty much every woman is going to get sexually abused. I guess that's how she thought. My mom has passed away about 20 years ago almost. But, um, 
And I can't even imagine where we would be in this conversation if she was alive. I just don't even know. So I, I commend you guys for being able to, you know, stand up to your, your moms and, and say, you know, this wasn't right. And, you know, even though I love you and I know that you probably didn't want this for me, we need to talk about this so that it doesn't continue to happen in the family. So I, too, commend you as well. <laughs> All of that to say that and just how I can, you know, just relate. Yeah, so and I think we all, well. so thank you. I feel like all of us, and this is, you know, talking to, to you and talking to Penelope and talking to the audience, I definitely feel like this is definitely therapeutic. It gets easier as we continue to talk about it. Um, you know, I, and then I remember, like, talking about being, you know, high school age, being more promiscuous. And then I remember um, being a lot older. I was in high school at the time. I had a pretty serious boyfriend, and we were sexually active. Obviously, I kept all of that from my parents. And even till this day, I don't know if my parents actually ever knew how sexually active I was when I was in, in high school. I remember... We were working on our citizenship at the time. Um, my dad was working on getting us what, you know, they called the, the green cards back then, which is our legal permanent resident cards. And part of that was for my father and my mother to travel back to Guatemala and, you know, do the official paperwork. We were all in high school. My parents felt confident enough to, like, leave us alone. I had an older sister. I'm number two sister. Um, but in order for my parents to travel, knowing that they were going to be gone for a month, they decided it was safer to leave us with another adult in the house. And what they ended up doing is that they paid for a visa and a flight and got one of the rooms ready in our household for my parents to travel to Guatemala and to bring some adult to come and stay with the seven kids at the time. Um, and I think that is what triggered back all of the trauma that had originally occurred because, lo and behold, the cousin that sexually abused me and raped me and did what he did with me when I was a child, and my parents are literally paying for him to come and move into our house so they can travel back to Guatemala. I was very much against it. I was very vocal at the time. Never really said why. I guess in high school, you're think, you know, your excuse to your parents is more like, we don't need somebody to take care of us. We are old enough. We can take care of ourselves. And, you know, it happened anyway. My parents left. My cousin came. At that time, he really wasn't, um, you know, going to talk about it, going to say anything. It was very uncomfortable. I never really had a good relationship with him, even when he lived with us there. He did live with us for almost a year. Um, my parents did leave, um, and he thought he was going to be in charge. I'm in high school, have a serious boyfriend with a car, so I'm not really staying there. I'm staying with my boyfriend because I want nothing to do with this grown man now that took advantage of me as a kid, completely rebelled while my parents were gone in Guatemala. And I remember my boyfriend being over at the house, and he had kicked my boyfriend out, and we got into this huge fight, and he got really physical with me. At the time, I was probably 16, maybe 17 years old, and 
I was a lot older, more mature, and I was in, you know, I guess if you if you remember your, your teen years, I was a moody teenager at the time. But I was old enough to be vocal and voice my opinion. And he did attempt to take advantage of me again. But I am, you know, a fully grown teenage child that was able to run away and get myself out of that situation. And I remember him telling me, that he was going to finish what he already started, pretty much trying to take advantage of me one time. Again, I got myself out of that situation. My boyfriend picked me up and took me to my best friend's house, um, and I did not come back to the household until my parents came back from Guatemala. Now, at the time, my cousin thought it was to his advantage because I was spoiled, I was a teenager, I had a boyfriend, I wasn't doing what he was, you know. And I guess at the time, I felt like it was time for me to share with my parents what had happened when we were younger. So I talked to my mom and dad just alone. I was very vulnerable, very upset, and my dad was Physically, you can see it in his face, like, how did I miss this? He was living in America. We were in Guatemala. How could this have happened to one of his children? My dad was very upset. And, again, I'm not a therapist, but please do not do this to any of your children or anybody that is telling you that there's something that has happened that you don't want to be around this person. For whatever reason, my mother thought it would be a great idea that in order for me to deal with the situation, knowing that the cousin is my maternal side of the family, she thought it would be a great idea that if I, um, I don't even know how to put it, if I confront my abuser, that it's going to make the situation better. It does not make the situation better. Of course the abuser is going to deny it. Of course the abuser says she is crazy. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a spoiled teenager. I caught her and her boyfriend doing X, Y, and Z. So instead of us dealing with the situation, I ended up getting in trouble because I'm accusing somebody of doing something to me that is hard for you to prove, right? Um, fast forward a few months later, I end up getting pregnant. I had <laughs> my first child was born when I was 17 going on 18, and my son Isaac was from my high school boyfriend. His name was Albert, and Isaac is now 26 years old, great kid. Oh, <laughs> gosh, I can relate so much to that story as well. I had that as well. Yeah, the best thing <laughs> that, that happened, happened as well. to me, so... <laughs> Yeah, I had a son really young in age, moved out of the house, moved out of my house, graduated with high school, from high school. I've always been a very good student. Like I mentioned earlier, I've always been an overachiever, want to do best. I graduated top of my class, graduated with a 4.0, got accepted to a whole bunch of universities, but I'm a young parent. I can't just, you know, go into you know, full university having a baby. So obviously my, my life didn't go in a straight line. It kind of curved a little bit, but moved out at 17. And I have always been independent since. You know, my, my, my dad 
did what a stereotypical father would do once you find out that somebody has taken advantage of your child, right? My mom still had denied it at the time, and it was very many, many years before my mom could actually, like, admit that something possibly could have happened to me. And I think that's what we talked about earlier, about the struggles of dealing with your, your, your parents, whether it's your mom or your father. But I think um, being older now, my mom's still alive. She's about to turn 70 in a couple of weeks. But I did battle when I shared earlier when I went through Darkness to Light, did the video with them, started doing a lot of public speaking. I think during that time, I guess I've always been taught that you're supposed to respect your elders. I've always been very civil to my mom, but there was a few years in there when I started actively speaking and talking to other women. It's even more vulnerable when you speak Spanish and you're talking to the Hispanic community because they can definitely understand the culture of you don't speak back, you don't do this, you don't do that, your parents, your elders, you just do what you're told. But it was a few years that I did struggle with my relationship with my mom. But I think at one point in my life, I finally decided, like, I can choose to be angry at my mom for the rest of my life, or I can choose to continue to share my story educate my community and educate other women that may be dealing with the same situation. And that is what I chose to do. Um, even bringing it even forward, even further from that, there's just like a lot of little trigger things that my mother has done that I'm like, I, I just don't understand why you would think that this is okay. I mentioned that I had a son at 17, you know, being a single mom. Um, it was my high school boyfriend. We obviously didn't work out because we were both 17 years old. I was working. I did rely very heavily on my parents to take care of my child for me. My mom has never had, like, a career. She's always, like, clean houses or done, you know, jobs here and there that she had enough money to provide towards the household but had the flexibility of helping us out when we needed now, please remember, even though my mother is the way she is, she's still my mother, and I needed help. I'm a young woman trying to find my career, trying to go to college, trying to do what I need to do, so I did have my, my, my family help me a lot on babysitting my child. My mom knew my rules. She knows how strict I was with my son, and I think I stopped talking to my mom probably when I was in my, like, mid-20s, going into my 30s. Um, maybe it was my early 20s, where she knew I was not going to have a relationship with that cousin. And my dad wasn't having a relationship with that cousin. But because it was my mother's side of the family, she was secretly still having a relationship with him, even though she knew all of that. But um, who am I to tell my mother what relationships she needs to have? And I still don't understand it. Till this day, she, I don't know why she did or does what she did for that man because I had a pretty steady career, and every once in a while I would get off early, and if I show up to my mother's house and that cousin is at her house and she's feeding him while she's watching my child, I had to 
you know, I, I pretty much lost it. I'm like, Mom, how can you do that, right? You, I can't even trust that you're taking care of my child knowing that this man sexually raped me and abused me and you're still okay with bringing a predator into your household. Um, you know, obviously I had to change my lifestyle. I had to ask the father of my child to help financially a little bit more so I could put him in a private daycare. So I had to change the situation instead of relying on my parents. Even now, I definitely feel like my parents liked that I relied on them for certain things. But at, at some time in my life and in my career, I needed to make the decision that safety is priority over the relationship with my family, and safety is more important. So if I needed to work more and make more money to make sure my kid got into a decent daycare that somebody is actually watching him, then that's what I needed to do as a mother. Um, I'm even going to fast you. forward even, yes, well, you do, you got to do what you got to do. Um, but that's when I stopped kind of having a, a, a good relationship with my parents. I, I, I talk to them now. We, my, my kids are all grown now, so it's just a different time in my life. I was a different person now. Um, I've been happily married for, we just celebrated 21 years, me and my husband. And, um, I remember He's a fireman, so he's a firefighter here in Georgia, and we moved to Georgia because he got an opportunity here for work, and um, we decided to make the big move. Um, I was a single mom, and I met him, um, and he was a great stepdad. He was there for Isaac when his father really couldn't be or didn't want to be, and we have built a beautiful life together. I remember moving to... Um, and again, I don't understand why people do what they do. I moved to Georgia. My um, high school best friend and I kept in touch for many years. And although I didn't really care about what the cousin was doing, I kind of kept an eye on him from a distance just to see what family members he was around. If I heard certain things, if I knew there was a big wedding or a funeral, whatever the situation, am I going to put myself in the situation, bring my new husband, bring the kid? You know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. I get to decide whether I want to be there or not. And if I knew that that family member was also invited, I chose not to attend, and I was unapologetic about me choosing not to come. Um, I remember um, a few years after I moved to Georgia, my son Isaac was probably middle school age at the time. Um, Jeff and me tried to have a baby for, for many, many, many years, and we just couldn't, so um, we decided to adopt. So my oldest son, who's now 29, is adopted. So I had Michael, my biological son Isaac, and then magically, God knows why he does what he does, I end up getting pregnant, of course, and then that's when I had the little girl. And I remember my daughter being born, and my best friend came to visit me from California to help me with the baby, to stay with me. And it's always nice to connect with your long, you know, long childhood friends. So we connected, and she kind of said something to me. She's like, Sylvia, I didn't want to say this to you because I know she, you know, she's my best friend. She knew a lot of stuff. She probably knows more stuff about me than my husband knows. But she knew about me, my abuse. I, I shared a lot of stuff with her, and she shared with me, that my abuser um, ended up uh, moving at a house right across the street from her. So I kind of knew what was going on with, with them, right? Um, I always found it so interesting because 
he was always a predator. All of the girlfriends that I knew of him growing up were very young girls. I remember being a high school senior, and he lived in the community where I lived, and he was dating like a freshman that went to high school with me. This is a 20-, 30-year-old man dating a 16-year-old child. That is rape, right? That is not okay. That is not normal. Um, and, again, everybody has their demons. I don't know why people do what they do. And um, my friend Melissa kind of shared with me, um, you know, I know you just have the baby, but I just thought that you needed to know this. My abuser probably had so many skeletons in his closet and did not know how to deal with his own demons. He took his own life maybe a few months after my my, my last daughter was born. Um, I remember him committing suicide, and I remember it being a big deal in the family that he had committed suicide. Suicide is another one of those stigmas that's very hard in our families to discuss. Um, I don't know what demons he was fighting against, right? But I chose not to be around his demons. I separated myself from that. I wanted to continue to live the life that I chose for me and my family. Um, but I do remember this being a huge deal when I they they were at talking about the funeral, and my mother, my mother thought that I should drop what I was doing, get myself a flight, and run over to California to to pay my respects to his side of the family. I was like, absolutely, mom. Like I don't understand why you would even oh think or consider that. I, right? I know, I know. So I know people are like, how can you? You know, it is. It's, I am, I'm a grown-up now. I'm in my 40s. I'm at peace with my life. And I'm a very, very independent person. My husband didn't marry me for my money. Obviously, I had no money. He didn't marry me for my brains. He married me because he loved me, and we chose to, to, create, to create a life together. So from my career to my house to everything that he does, this is the life that we build together. But, again, I say that because I do have a relationship with my parents, with both of them, with my mom and dad. I do see them regularly, but I have set myself a lot of boundaries. You have to set boundaries for yourself. And I say that because, and I'm going to give you guys a couple of examples. You know, I've been married to my husband for 21 years. My husband is Caucasian. He's he's white. Um, and we have built our old culture and our old, you know, I bring some of from, from my old world, bring it to America. We do our traditions for Christmas. He enjoys the Latin American food that I make. I do like to cook a lot of American food, but this is the life that we've built together. It's a joke in my family because my mom does it all the time. So we were just over, my father just had a birthday. He just turned 70 last weekend. And we went over to my parents' house, and my mom made a huge feast. I am very independent, and my husband is very independent. He does not expect me to provide him a plate, get him a drink, make sure he is taken care of before I can sit and get my own food. That is very much in my mother's culture. She takes care of my father hand and foot from morning to night. She doesn't even like going away for several hours because who's going to feed my father his breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I did not want that type of marriage in my life, right? I don't want that. That is why I picked the partner that I picked. But as a joke, she kept making comments about 
how did I go ahead and eat without giving my husband his plate? Like in her household, suegra means um, mother-in-law. She's like, and she kept saying it to him in her broken English, you know, when you're at your suegra's house, you will be taken care of. You will, you know, like it's, it's that control factor of her thinking that my husband's going to be happy if I do X, Y, and Z for him, you know, and I know it's a joke, but it is one of those things that, triggers me of being I guess Latin American or Hispanic of of being uh, undermined and feeling like the man's um, dinner is more important than the wife's dinner or the kid's dinner like why can't we all just buffet style go get your dinner and everybody sit together why does it have to be such a battle (laughs) yeah and the kids are old enough they can do it themselves now so yeah (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that, do you want to take a break maybe things. for a minute and breathe again? <laughs> yeah, we but, can take um, a couple of breaks. We can take a little bit of break. If you have any questions, I don't know if anybody's listening. Yeah. It, it'll kind of give me to catch my breath a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I think tonight it's just us on the on the, the call, but there's always, you know, people that listen that you don't even know of. But um, I was going to just say one thing, though, before. I have, I, well, I wanted to ask you a question. So did you have all sisters, or did you, did you have brothers as well? Oh, okay. So I'm number two. Okay, there's seven of us total, and the youngest one, number seven, is a boy. So one through six are girls, and then the seventh one, the youngest oh, wow. one, is, is my brother. Yeah, he's my brother. Oh, well, man, that man has been taken care of since the second he was born. He doesn't understand what I'm it is sure. to be independent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, I, yeah, I feel sorry for his wife. <laughs> Unless he finds somebody that really wants to do that, I guess, you know. My right. son I mean, if you're into that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. My son's the youngest of three, and he was – I remember as he was growing up, though, I used to say, he's going to be the best husband in the world. I mean, he's going to be so just caring and empathetic, and he's always been very sensitive. And um, and and then as he, when he turned 18, he told me he was gay, which makes perfect sense, you know. But he, um, yeah. But, yeah, he he was very, he got very well taken care of as well. And, but he also got makeup and, you know, he said like your brother did. <laughs> a little makeup <laughs> and hair done every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I know. I remember my brother making a joke about his friends teasing him about asking for hair products because he, like, always had hair products for the sisters just to give them to him. So, yeah. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Oh, cute. Well, um, Penelope, did you have something that you wanted to ask Sylvia as well? You know, I did. Thank you, Ken. You know, Sylvia, I was, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about, you, know, you described some of um, you know, your parents' reactions and your mother's, you know, insistence that you, you know, go and show up. You know, I think a lot of a lot of times things were for appearances, right? Let's you know show up at this yeah. person's, you know, funeral. Um, and so, first of all, I applaud you for your agency and you know deciding, you know, setting your boundaries. So I think that that's really that can be difficult when you have you know parents who have a culture of certain protocol. Um, so I applaud you for that because I myself have found that very, very difficult, you know, to, you know, part of, part of recovery is, is setting about, is learning how to set those boundaries and stand firmly in them. 
Um, but I'm wondering, too, I was wondering, too, you know, had, do you think that the, there was any possibility that your mother had also experienced some form of maltreatment in her life? And for her, it was, A, too painful to be confronted with it when you, you know, were brave enough to, to name what had happened to you, um, or it was just too triggering for her, or, you know, she was of the mindset that, you know, you just don't say when these things happen to you. I mean, do you suspect maybe if, if was there anything that would that possibly transpired in her life? I think so. I think, um, I mean, I can give you guys, you know, a couple of different examples. I think um, things have happened in my mother's side of the family, and it doesn't make her side of the family worse or better than, than my father's. I think my, my father's side of the family was just, they were just built different where my father was raised by aunts and uncles because his mother was a single mom and she was, you know, a social worker working for the the Kitev people in Guatemala. So she was very much an advocate for the immigrants within Guatemala, the 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 natives that lived there. So my father was kind of like raised on his own, had a couple of brothers, but where my mother having 21 brothers and sisters, um, you know, I had another uncle, that's my mother's uh, uncle, my mother's brother, um, get also um, accused of sexually abusing one of my little sisters as well. Um, Not to the effect Mm -hmm. that occurred Mm -hmm. to me, but nobody, it's almost like no, all sins are weighed the same. It, mine isn't any worse than what happened to her. You know what I mean? Everybody's, and I say this to, to, to my husband as well, being a firefighter, you know, he comes home and he gets so excited when he's had two house fires, a cardiac arrest, he's had a couple of stabbings at work. My husband has a great day at work. But everything I just mentioned to you is tragic and is emergency. That's somebody's emergency. So, I always use that as an example when somebody tells me what their emergency is, their triggers are, like all of our triggers are what triggers us and how we are vulnerable and how we are, um, you know, we deal with them. So I never minimize anybody's abuse regardless of what they've dealt with. So knowing that my mom's uncle also was accused of doing certain things, um, she had another brother, this is a separate brother, that got sent to prison for raping a little girl. So it just like a lot of that trigger and stigma and there was a lot of stuff happening on my mom's side of the family. And I don't know if it was, um, you know, I don't know where the pattern was finally broken. Was it broken with us when we come to America and we're able to talk about it more because we separated ourselves from that, Right. So my mom has never really talked about it or felt comfortable about it. And, you know, and, and I don't know anybody stands on immigration. This is not a political call, but I've had aunts that have immigrated to, to America. They've crossed the country, have gone through the desert to pay to, uh, what they call a coyote to smuggle them into America, right? And the two aunts that did that were raped, were situations were really bad for them, but they finally made it to America, right? They're here. And those are the ones that are my aunts that are younger from my mom's side of the family that can openly talk about it because they've dealt with the abuse. They understand what rape is, what trauma is, and they're open to it, right? So it is very generational. It is very cultural to me because not every country smuggles their, you know, their they're young women to to America for a chance at a better life, right? So I think 
um, being Latin American, being we we have those situations that can occur. So you're right. I don't know if anything has ever happened to my mom. Um, I know a couple of aunts that have mentioned stuff to me. I've got male cousins that were raped by other cousins that we openly talk about. It is very generational. I'm in my 40s, and when I finally started talking about it to my cousins, my 20-year-old cousins say something that happened on this side of the family. So we're able to openly talk about it more. And not that I'm saying, like, it helps us understand family members more, but it helps us understand family members more. So when I tell my family, I don't care if you guys have a party every single weekend, if Sylvia doesn't want to be around that much family every single weekend, it is okay for me to put my boundaries up and say, you know what, we saw you last weekend for your birthday, Dad. We're going to stay home this weekend and do some adulting around our house. I don't always have to be around a large group of individuals because – as social and as much as I enjoy being around people, sometimes I want to choose the people that I want to be around, if that makes sense to anybody. <laughs> totally. And you have a right. as a Yeah, as an adult, you have a right. And I guess with this, you know, everything that we're kind of chit-chatting about, like all of these conversations, all of these um, things that have occurred, um, whenever we were getting ready to do this podcast, they asked me a couple of questions like, hey, have you ever written a blog? I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this one, you know, a perspective from a Hispanic Latin American community. I wrote this a couple of years ago. And then I found like a video that was very featured. It was like a YouTube video. The video was made several years ago, and I guess I forgot it was there. And then I got stuck into the um, the Internet trolls because then I started reading every single comment on there. Then I started getting offended for people saying certain things about me. And I guess it's easy for somebody to take my words and, you know, interpret them into however they want to be interpreted. So in a section of one of the, of the YouTube video that, that we did, this was with Darkness to Lie, like it was just featured on Sylvia Golan. And I must have said something to the effect that everything must happen for a reason, right? But then when I started reading some of the trolls, like I, a lot of them were trying to almost insinuate that because everything happens for a reason, it justifies the action of the abuser. Like, and that maybe I was reading too much into it, but then I started getting offended. And my husband's like, why are you reading the comments on YouTube? Who cares, right? And, and he's right, right? Because it doesn't matter what yeah. people say. What matters is the support that I'm getting here from Penelope and Kim. And I say that because I have found that sharing my tragedy with people that I may not know, get it does get easier and easier to disclose as I get older and I'm more at peace with with what has happened to me in my healing journey. Um, um, recently, uh, I got, this was probably like a month ago, I got a an Instagram message from a young lady from Honduras, but she lives in Texas, and kind of shared with me that her story is very similar to mine, right? And then I remember my friend Mary that had sent me uh, like a, a private message through Facebook because she watched The Darkness to Light, and she found me on social media, and she lives in New Zealand, and New Zealand is talking about prevention of 
child sexual abuse and talks about it to survivors. You know, I have a lady from Texas, a lady from New Zealand, and then I mentioned to Kim earlier, I have a new colleague that started working with me, and she works in a different department. I work in transportation. She works in the administration building, but she is a CASA advocate, and for those of you that don't know what CASA is, CASA is like a support system for children that are in um, foster care, um, the foster care system. And if you're a CASA advocate, I, I can't remember what it stands for, but it is that you go to court in the, in the best interest of the child. You really don't care about what's going on with mom, what's going on with dad. You care about the well there and safety of this child, right? So the decisions that you propose to the court are in the best interest of the child. You're getting the child's input on what the child wants to see happen with their situation going on right now. And uh, part of being a CASA advocate, you have to take some sort of child abuse prevention, sexual something training. Uh, you have to have rules when you're alone with that foster child. You're never alone with that foster child. It's like the buddy system. There's always two adults when there is a child around. So this new coworker is a darkness to light instructor, and she has been doing it for years. And she kept telling me that I, I looked familiar to her, and I, I don't disclose, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I, this happens, like, you don't start conversations like that with people. Even when you know people, you don't talk about what happened to you and your trauma as a child. So she finally put two and two together. And I tell you, this is how I know God works the way he does, you know, or the universe or whatever you believe in. But, you know, Katie has been a constant advocate, has been teaching this for years. She's probably a good 10 or 15 years older than me. She invited me to lunch when she finally figured it out and broke down and told me that, told me that she had never shared her story with anybody else. So I continue to be at all with the education y'all are doing, with continuing to provide a platform for those people that sometimes can't find their own words, and then my new friend Katie that is able to, to somehow put her words together and feel comfortable enough with me to share such a traumatic situation in her life. And it's not the first time that somebody has shared their situation, and I hope to God it's not the last time. Like, my goal as an educator and as an advocate for prevention is just that, what you guys are doing right now for us, providing us an avenue, giving us a platform to to be able to speak when so many people out there still have not found their words or their voice to be able to share their journey and their story with us. Um, so I am going to stop talking now and allow maybe Kim or Penelope to see if they want to ask about anything else or what other things um, that we're working on here in Georgia. Well, thank you so much, Sylvia. Um, just everything that you're doing, everything that you've said tonight has been so important. And um, I appreciate that you are not only telling your story, but also educating too. And um, I'm going to do a night actually tomorrow night on, on NASCA about specifically around darkness to light. So um, that'll be fun if you want to listen in. I know it's kind of late for you out there, but um, you could listen in later on. So it'll be the um, just, you know, about 
all of what's coming up, too. And so it's really exciting to see how Darkness to Light, too, is staying in that movement of we need to keep this out there. And when I started years ago um, with Darkness to Light, well, they didn't even have somebody educating in Colorado. That's where I'm at at the time. And so I had to go to Oklahoma, get my certificate. And as soon as I came back, I had a church call me. And one of my first classes that I ever did was like 36 people. And I remember standing in that church going, okay, this is definitely a God thing. This has got to be a God thing. <laughs> God is in all of this. So, um, yeah, it's, it is amazing. Once you just are more open to being a vessel, um, you know, not only for God, but for survivors. Well, you know, I think it's connecting with people like you as well. You know, I had another friend that was here in Georgia that was, I was a, you know, instructor, a facilitator, but that got really difficult for me because even though I'm comfortable with sharing my story, when everybody's staring at me and I'm the instructor and then I get triggered, that was really hard for me. So I chose to stop being a facilitator for that reason. But I'm very in tune with a lot of the facilitators here in Metro Atlanta. One particular friend had been teaching it for years and years and years, but she's originally from Louisiana. And let me tell you, like, this is how – as a joke in my family, having so many females, we always tell each other, like, how do you get something done? Give it to a busy female because she's going to make sure it gets done. She's already got so much going on. She's just going to add it to the rest of her to-do list. So my girlfriend that moved out, her name is Jennifer, and Jennifer's so great. Jennifer was out here killing it in, like, the DeKalb area, Cobb area, and God called her home to go back to Louisiana. She does not talk to her father. Her father was her abuser, doesn't talk to her brothers. Her mother had passed away, which is why she ended up moving over there. She ended up moving forward and started a nonprofit specifically on this topic. And I talked to her when I was in California. I want to say it was in May. And that woman took down like 15 politicians, and I'll send you the link, Kim, for child trafficking, doing all of this sexual abuse within the, I mean, it was like a huge deal. And her, and I told her, I said, Jennifer, listen, God was calling you to go back to your hometown of Louisiana because somebody needed to put a stop to everything that was being corrupt and being done over there. So she is killing it in education and bringing things out to light. And, you know, and I am so grateful to surround myself with so many powerhouse women that continue to, like, amaze me on the work that y'all are doing out there. So I genuinely do appreciate it. Uh, You too. You're definitely a badass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a couple of big things happening in Atlanta. If anybody's interested, we do have a conference in September um, talking about the Georgia Conference of Child Abuse and Neglect. It's going to be in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta somewhere. Peach, I think Peachtree City, um, the Boy Scouts of America have continued to do what they call their youth protection seminars. Like, we know that Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts have to have some sort of plan. So I love seeing all of these out there still continuing to go on here um, in Georgia. We have some domestic violence forums that we're continuing to do in October. Um, and we do a lot of virtual classes, too. We have a virtual sex education summit 
it is okay to talk about sex. It is okay to understand what love, sex, and what that all entails. Like I mentioned to you guys, 21 years being married to my husband, and our sex life has not, has not always been perfect. If, if you, if there's women out there or men out there that have been married to people, you know that it takes years for you to be, you know, in a comfortable situation to know that making love to your spouse is not, what happened to you and your trauma and when you were a child. But, again, it's those situations that we need to openly talk about, continue to do conferences, continue to do webinars, continue to read and educate ourselves in all that we do for our community. Well, thank you for everything that you do, Sylvia. Um, um, do you have – I know that we have a couple links on the website as well, but it, do you want to tell your um, – your website or your, um, I guess, Facebook page or the, the Yeah, Facebook I don't have, page like, anything public like that. Yeah, I guess maybe my LinkedIn, okay. if people look me up under Sylvia Golan, I'm very responsive. Okay. Um, Sylvia spelled S-Y-L-V-I-A. Last name is Golan, G-O-A-L-E-N. There is not many Sylvia Golans in this world, so you'll be easy to find me out there. Um, my current role, I'm a division director over traffic safety, so I do a lot of engineering type of work. Um, my goal, and I guess, you know, it's interesting to me because all of my careers that I've done have always been um, service-focused, like helping citizens, being safer on the roads. Like everything I do from advocacy to safety, it, 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 it stems from everything that has happened to me. And you guys mentioned that earlier, being overachievers, continuing to overeducate ourselves. Like, I already have a master's. Why am I getting a second master's? I don't know, because I'm a masochist and I love education. My husband's like, why don't you just get your PhD instead, right? But, like, not like we don't have a busy enough lifestyle now, though. So, and I don't know. I don't know when it would ever be enough. Like, one day in my life I would like to wake up and be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to lay around and binge watch TV for a whole day. Like, I don't know what that means, yeah. but I think it's just from everything that has stemmed and has happened to me, it's like never enough when I'm trying to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something else to do. There, there definitely right. is. And I've got now six grandkids. So that's keeping me really busy. Six <laughs> grandkids. That's earlier. so great. That's yeah. so great. I have two, yeah. and I've got a third one on the way. So being a grandparent yeah. is a whole other passion, a whole other love. So I, I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> they're, they're the are they around you? Are they anywhere close? So my adoptive son, Michael, he lives um, right at the Alabama and Georgia border, like going towards Noonan. So it's almost like an hour and a half, two hours away from me. So not close enough, but close enough that if I could just go for a weekend and go visit them, I do. Um, I wish they were closer, obviously. Um, my middle son, Isaac, has been dating this really beautiful young lady, and I wish – and, again, this is very generational. I know we live in a different time. I know he doesn't have to marry her. I know they already live together. But as a mom, I would really love to see my, my second and firstborn son, um, you know, propose to her and build a wonderful life with her as well. Um, 
and the same as my daughter, you know, in the Latin American culture, it's big uh, for us to do what, what we call a quinceañera. It's very similar to a bat mitzvah for the Jewish community or a sweet 16 for the American community. So quinceañera is a big deal. And we are in the process of planning my daughter's quinceañera, but she's very Americanized, right? Um, she barely speaks any Spanish, very Americanized. So she, we talk about it often because it's like, why do I have to do X, Y, and Z? You know, we don't live in a third world country, mom, where I have to present myself like the tradition behind the Hispanic culture is when a child, a woman turns 15, she's old enough to be wed. But again, we live in a different world now in a different country, and my daughter doesn't understand why, even though she understands the traditions, we have to do certain things because she's not going to go get married next week, right? So why should she have to do certain things just because the culture says that we have to do it? She's not wrong. So we're we're meeting in the middle. We're still doing some stuff, but we want to make sure that everybody's comfortable with the celebration. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, do you think with that knowledge that, you know, women, girls are women um, when they turn 15? And is it boys or 13? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That would that play into, I wonder, the abuse in your culture? Maybe you were old enough to do some things. Yeah, you're old enough. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, even with the celebration that we're doing with my daughter, you know, um, know, I'm, I'm I'm not ashamed to say I like to have a glass of wine every once in a while. But my husband and I have been having the conversation as we continue to plan for Olivia's quinceanera, He's like, she's 15 years old, Sylvia. We're going to do the celebration. She wants it. I want it. You want it. But why don't we make it a 15-year-old party situation? Like, why are we even talking about serving alcohol at a 15-year-old party? And he's not wrong, right? Why should we bring alcohol? Why can't it be a dry event? Why can't we all enjoy ourselves without, you know, putting alcohol in those triggers to some of the family members that probably shouldn't be intoxicated around a whole bunch of teenagers? So, you know, again, it's like having that open discussion and realizing we want to keep the traditions. We want to do X, Y, and Z. We want people to have a good time. But, again, we have to talk about our boundaries and make sure that we continue. And I'm not saying, you know, other people that choose to have alcohol in their parties, that's by all means, that's their choice. But, again, I think it's that openness between my husband and my relationship that we talk about, you know, we don't have to do certain things to continue the culture and continue the traditions, but make sure that we continue the safety in mind. So it has always worked out and, you know, the decisions and the talking it out versus, Sweep it under the rug. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. So it's a good conversation yeah, around the house. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and I know that your situation is different, but I, when I started doing Darkness to Light, I, was, I made sure that my kids saw it, even though they didn't know my story yet, because it was really important to me. And I know that situation is a little bit different, because I almost asked you that, if, you're, if your oldest son saw it. But I, I could understand it didn't because you were in it and that's a whole different you know perspective that's going on because when my kids I can go out and do this work without it being about my story and so it's just about you know because I'm not in it like you are (laughs) so um I have them take it and then they start they've learned about my story throughout the years 
you know, that I've been doing this. They've been concerned about my, it. So, my kids, um, do you mind if, oh, no, go ahead. No, I want to no, hear what you said. Your kids. Oh, yeah. My kids do know about okay. my story. My son Isaac didn't find out until he was, like, older teenager, but... I guess having a daughter was a little bit different because I was, um, you know, preparing her for puberty, preparing her for her body to change, preparing her for her period. So early on, you know, talking about our bodies and, you know, safe situations and people that are allowed, you know, doctors or certain things that should happen. With Olivia, from a very young age, I educated her on the prevention of child abuse. And we talk about, even when you think about your your child being lost or a stranger danger coming to tell your child, they lost their puppy, they need help finding them, like, we've had this situation, this conversation with our daughter at a very young age. An adult does not come to a child for help. Again, an adult should not and does not come to a child for help, right? So those are things that I want to make sure that my daughter my daughter is very well aware of. And she's 14 now. She definitely knows my story. She's seen the darkness to life. She's taken the training. She knows that I'm doing this podcast. She knows the subject that I'm doing it on. And she, she reads. She likes to read. So she understands the whole what it is, and she's becoming her own little independent woman, and it is okay for her to say no, you know, to, to you know, if you don't, she does not like to be touched. I'm a hugger. I've always been a hugger, and my family gives her a hard time for not going around and kissing everybody when you say your hellos. She does not feel, uncom- she does not feel comfortable you coming into her space to kiss her or hug her, and I respect that, right? That is her choice. Yeah. You shouldn't force somebody <laughs> to hug and kiss you just because everybody's doing it. So. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Sylvia, thank you so much for being on with us tonight. It's just an honor. It was a privilege to have you and to listen to your story. Um, you are a, NASA, a NASCAR member now. You are welcome to come on this line thank anytime you. and, um, you know, talk, talk about anybody else's story. Please remember your um, scan number is 3258, and it'll be ready within probably about a half an hour or so after the show closes. So, um, again, thank you for being here. Thank you, Penelope, for being on with us tonight. Thanks, Penelope. And I'll be praying Thank you. I'll be praying for you all in the hurricanes as well. So yes. keep us posted, maybe Let's on hope. Facebook or something. <laughs> yeah. Stay safe out there. Okay. Well, stay safe. Thanks, ladies. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.